Just as we predicted, the Trump town hall crushed the Republican debate in the ratings. The town hall on Fox News averaged 4.3 million viewers for that hour. The CNN debate during the same hour with DeSantis and Nikki Haley finally down to two candidates. Chris Christie, of course, has dropped out of the race. Vivek is still in the race, but didn't quite make the debate. Anyway, that got 2.5 million viewers. So Trump beat the debate by almost 2 million viewers. And by the way, Trump was much more entertaining. That debate, I listened to a lot of the debate as much as I could possibly get through without harming myself, and it was painful. It was painful. I requested to actually be handcuffed while listening to the debate in order to ensure that I did not inflict any harm on myself because it's cringeworthy to listen to Haley and DeSantis get into the weeds and discuss these boring topics and, you know, get into this very technical discussion about the economy and about all sorts of things. Trump is so much sharper. And yes, he's fun. And DeSantis and Haley both getting into the weeds, tedious. They take themselves way too seriously, by the way. Here's the thing. Nobody cares about you balancing the budget other than me, okay? Unless you're, 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 you're trying to get me, persuade me to vote for you. Nobody cares about the balancing the budget. It's just not on people's minds. Nobody cares about COVID here in 2024. They care about one thing. They care about the economy. They care about putting food on the table. They care about filling up their gas tanks. And they just want lower taxes, reduce inflation, afford to be, be able to afford a loaf of bread. And let me say this to Governor Ron DeSantis, and I'm a huge fan of Governor Ron DeSantis from a policy standpoint. And his policy, I made me more aligned with DeSantis in terms of his conservatism, his conservative values and principles, what he's done in Florida, than any other candidate around. But when they ask you if you are going to lower taxes, the answer is yes. Don't give some confused. Their answer, are people going to pay less in taxes? You're a Republican. You're a conservative. There is only one answer to that question. Yes, I'm going to lower. I'm going to cut taxes. Don't give some confusing answers. Starting to talk about different tiers and a flat tax and it sounds like you're dodging the question, which he's not dodging the question. But that's what it sounds like, because if you say anything when they say to you, are people going to pay less taxes if you're president? If you say anything other than yes, it sounds like you're, you've got something to hide. The funny thing is, DeSantis must be scratching his head because here you have all these MAGA conservatives and like DeSantis should be their hero because just think about his policies, okay? Abortion, cutting taxes in Florida, no, no income tax in Florida, I- illegals, the woke, you know, the woke crowd, the woke immoral stuff. And, you know, he took on Disney. His track record, he should be, he should be surging in the polls among conservatives. And he's like, why am I tanking? And it's because his messaging is hideous, to be totally blunt. All right, so we'll get into the town hall. We will get into the debate for runner-up. The mayor of Chicago says that Governor Abbott of Texas is a racist. And the reason that he's sending – you can't make this stuff up. The mayor of Chicago says the reason that Governor Abbott is sending illegals to Chicago, to New York, to other – to Washington, D.C., to these other cities is because he's racist against – get this – the black mayors of these cities. I kid you not. You can't make this stuff up. Brandon Johnson, the woke, radical uh, mayor of Chicago. He says Governor Abbott is attacking Democrat cities, specifically cities being led by black leaders and leaders of color. So let, let's look at the logic here of this genius Brandis, Brandon Johnson. Uh, it, it's, it's unbelievable. He's even worse than that other than that than that woman who they kicked out. OK, let's look at his logic. Illegals have invaded Texas. 
creating mayhem, okay? It's a nightmare right now what's happening in Texas thanks to Joe Biden. So Governor Abbott is now saying to himself, I'm going to send the illegals off to cities, to sanctuary cities, because they have black mayors. I I don't like black people. So I'm going to get those mayors. I don't like Eric Adams. I don't like this Brandon Johnson. I don't like the mayor of Washington, D.C. What's her name? Bowser. So I'm going to get, you know how I'm going to get those black mayors who I'm a racist against? I'm going to send buses of thousands of illegals to their city. Now, one second. He's sending people of color, the illegals themselves are minorities, they're people of color. He's sending them, not that this needs to be refuted in any way, the absurdity of this, but he's sending them to sanctuary cities to have a better life, free food, free hotels, free Medicaid, the American dream. And it's because he hates people of color. He's a racist against people of color. So he's giving tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, maybe, of people of color a far better life than they would get in Texas. And by the way, he's doing he's fulfilling his duty as the governor of Texas by helping all of his own residents who are not interested in these illegals and are not a sanctuary state. It's a part. And by the way, you know who the racist is? Brandon Johnson, the mayor of Chicago, because he's saying sending the illegals into our city. That's a punishment. He's trying to Abbott's trying to punish us. Now, one second, one second. Why is it a punishment? What, what, what's bad about them? What's, what's wrong with these illegals? Are you a racist? Do you have a problem with illegals? Why, why do you just make this assumption that sending illegals into Chicago and, and New York and Washington, D.C., that that's somehow a negative, that's somehow a bad thing? Um, by the way, the problem with the cities, New York, L.A., Chicago, Washington, D.C., is not because their mayors are black. They're, they're, they're terribly run cities, but it's because their mayors are terrible, not because they're black. There's a lot of very, very, very successful and skillful and talented uh, black politicians out there. The CEO of Bo- – we have so much to get to here. The C- and, we, and we're going to get to yeah, Lloyd Austin, Secretary of Defense. I mean he should resign so quickly, and he's going to – nothing is going to happen. He, he's going to get zero consequence for this. Biden, nobody's going to get any consequences for this. The CEO of Boeing has accepted blame for the mishap in which an airplane was torn apart mid-flight. Now, let's – come on. Let's give him a round of applause here. Let's give credit. Hey, the CEO of Boeing, he has accepted – he's taken – he's a – what a stand-up guy. What a What an upstanding citizen. An airplane was torn apart mid-flight. A massive chunk of the fuselage wall and the door got literally ripped off the plane mid-flight. If you saw the video of this, it is surreal. It's surreal. You have this huge gaping hole on the side of the plane. The plane is up there 20, 30,000 feet uh, uh, in the air, and the people are sitting there literally a few feet away from this huge hole on the side of the airplane. They're looking down at the earth, and and this CEO of Boeing, what an impressive individual – your airplane is torn apart mid-flight. It's miraculous that nobody was seriously injured, and the CEO has taken responsibility. I mean, he could have passed the buck. I mean, look, he could have blamed Trump. They blamed Trump for everything else. The door flies off. A child's clothing was literally ripped off by the air pressure. I mean, it's just unbelievable. And the and you know what these are? This is the Boeing 737. Boeing is 100% culpable. These planes should be grounded, and the only reason that these planes are not being grounded is because Boeing is protected. Boeing is worth so – they have so many government contracts. They're a defense contractor. So they are in the pocket or the, the politicians are in the pocket of Boeing. You know the number one politician in the pocket of Boeing, the one who used to be a, – a, a, a former member of the board of directors? Yeah, that would be Nikki Haley, and she's getting a pass. The 737 MAX, these jets are a nightmare. They should be grounded permanently. They've led to crashes, hundreds of deaths as a result of these seven, these Boeing 737s. Boeing, they have blood on their hands, but they're part of the swamp. They are so interwoven with the swamp that they can get away with this stuff. And that, and, and by the way, you know, because if right now if Boeing's – if they ground all these planes, their stock will tank. If their stock tanks, then that would be very, very bad for the government. And, of course, the politicians are never going to let that happen. 
happen. So that is the that is the ticket, and it's egregious. And Nikki Haley should be held accountable. But you know why Boeing has become so unsafe? This is incredible. And Elon Musk actually tweeted this. D-E-I, three little letters, D-E-I. You're not going to believe this. Diversity, two years ago, Boeing changed its reward structure. Boeing, the executives, used to be rewarded for for safety. They literally had a reward structure in place where the safer they are, the more the more money they make. So two years ago, Boeing changed its reward structure given to executives, okay? It used to be their reward structure. They were rewarded for safety, which makes a lot of sense. For, for profit increases and for safety, that is the job of the executives and the CEO. And then in 2022, they changed the bonus structure, and now a, major, a, a big chunk of the bonus structure has been changed. It's no longer about improving the safety of the airplanes or aircraft. It, it, it's they reward they rewarded for hitting DEI targets. You want to know why Boeing is so unsafe? This is according to their own filings with the government. And Elon Musk tweeted about this. Their, their reward structure, they used to be rewarded for safety. Now they're rewarded for diversity. Okay, the more people they hire based on skin color minorities, the more they get rewarded as opposed to being rewarded for what they should be rewarded for, which is Increasing the safety of their airplanes, okay, and and increasing profits, which obviously is you know the main job of these executives when you run a company. So they, if you want to know why Boeing is so unsafe, there's why Boeing is so unsafe because they don't hire people based on their merit and qualifications and whether they can keep the airplanes flying safely or or, or built safely. They, 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 it's it's based on skin color. They're hiring based on skin. Color. I don't like I said. I don't. It's one thing when to hire a university president based on skin color. That's bad enough. Or you want to appoint some member of some cabinet in the government. That's that's very bad. But pilots and engineers and people who are actually building your aircraft. That's terrifying. Elon Musk tweeted about this. He said, quote, do you want to fly in an airplane where they prioritized DEI hiring over your safety? This is actually happening, end quote. That is Elon Musk. And like I said, Nikki Haley is certainly culpable. She protects Boeing from being punished by the government. She was on their board of directors. There's a reason. Okay, Nikki Haley is not on their board. Of, it's like a Hunter Biden deal. She's not on the board of directors because she kind of has a kind of expertise in aerodynamics, okay, in, in, in building airplanes and engineering. That's not why Nikki Haley is there. And the, the Boeing has a big defense, a huge defense contract, probably the biggest, uh, so many government contracts. So they literally have these politicians in their back pocket. If their stock tanks, it would be a, a, a catastrophic. So these planes should be grounded permanently, but that would ju- they're too big to fail, literally. And, 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 and the consumers and, and the uh, travelers are the ones who suffer. Now, contrast Nikki Haley. Who, like I said, has Boeing, you know, is in, is in Boeing's back pocket. Contrast that with Trump. Remember Trump, his like first day or first week in office. Remember what he did? He actually canceled a, a, a huge contract with Boeing to uh, build a new Air Force One, to design and create and develop a new Air Force, new version of Air Force One. And Trump said, and it was like $25 billion. In the end, they renegotiated. I think they did restart the contract, but it was a, a small fraction of you know, what, what it was supposed to be because Trump renegotiated it. He said, I'm not doing this. He said, how can you, you waste $25 billion in taxpayer money? Air Force One is pretty good. Trump is like, Air Force One it's a good it's a good plane. It doesn't it doesn't need to be revamped. It's fine. Certainly not for twenty five billion dollars. It's the most amazing plane ever. So that's how Trump deals with Boeing versus how all these other politicians, including Republicans, uh, deal with Boeing. All right. A public school in Flatbush. This is insanity. OK, a, a, a public school in Flatbush. I'm sure you heard about this. A high school was closed down for a day this week because they needed the space for about nineteen hundred illegals. There are there are thousands of illegals. 
being housed uh, just a couple of miles out of Flatbush and Floyd Bennett Field. They've been there for months, and they're in a big tent, but there was a huge storm, and they were worried about what would happen to the illegals. So, hey, kids, no school today. We need your school to be a homeless shelter for illegals because there's a storm coming. I mean, this is just insane. Parents are livid. Uh, Flatbush residents are livid. Councilwoman Ina Vernikoff, who represents that area, is just, she's furious, rightfully so. A school in the heart of Flatbush, you had thousands of asylum seekers. Oh, asylum seekers. Illegals. Okay, illegals. You know, living in a third world country does not entitle you to be an asylum refugee. If it did, then there'd be literally three or four billion people who would be entitled to asylum in America. The fact that you live in Venezuela or in Guatemala and the fact that uh, life is not terribly pleasant. Well, I, By the way, I'm not sure if living in the Bronx right now is more pleasant than living in Venezuela or Guatemala. But by the time they're here, it's too late. They already, you know, they, 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 they learned it the hard way. But like, they literally cleared out this school and told the kids, you're, you're going to be learning remotely. Remember that thing, learning remotely, which never ended up happening. According to parents, they were supposed to do Zoom, but the teachers actually never showed up for that, you know, for those uh, periods, didn't show up online. But it doesn't matter. I mean, you're sending the kids home. Where? What is wrong with these twisted politicians' priorities, Eric Adams and New York City, that they're literally clearing out of school, telling the kids, hey, you're off today, because it's just, it is really, really just incomprehensible. And outrageous. And, you know, like, like it's so out of control. Like, please do not tell anybody that I'm it's all a little secret. I'm an American citizen. But if I ever meet a stranger, I don't want them to know that. OK, tell them I'm a citizen of Lebanon. I live in Beirut. OK, I'm a freedom fighter in Libya. Anything. I, I'm, I, I'm a Pakistani. Anything. Do not tell them that I'm an American because it's just simply too humiliating. All right. So much to get to. Like I said, Trump, the Trump town hall. Uh, you know, the debate for runner up. Uh, we'll get to that shortly. And uh, uh, Trump knocked it out of the park. He's so much he, he, he's, he's so exciting because it, it's like an adrenaline rush because he says the things that you're thinking and you're hoping a politician would say. But the other politicians are too scripted. You know, so one, one listener who I'm close with, he emails me a lot. He's, he, he wrote me this email. He's like, Haley and DeSantis, they're literally just reciting a script. It's all, just all memorized, and they're just rattling off talking points, and it shows it's so fake. When, when you see DeSantis and Haley debate, they're not talking the way you would talk in a normal conversation. It's very artificial. It's not natural. That's not good debating. And I'm going to read you like there's a CNN analyst who wrote up a whole uh, a- a- analysis, you know, uh, recap of the debate or breakdown. I-, I-, I, agree, I agree with some of the things he wrote, disagree with a lot of it, but I'll, I'll go through some of that. But, like, it's painful with Trump. It's like he's not scripted. He didn't memorize. It's it's he's just literally talking off the cuff. You could tell. Despite that, he's pretty smooth and he's very articulate. But it, it, like you feel like you're ha- he, he's so real. He is so real, and the others are so fake. All right, Dr. Fauci has admitted that the lab leak theory is a legitimate theory and that it's not a conspiracy theory. It, it's just it, it's unbelievable. This is just I, I, I'm tearing my hair out here. Fauci has admitted two things, and this exposes everything. It's too little, too late. But it exposes everything we've been telling you, which is that he's not a man of science. In fact, what they, the, the, the decisions that were made and the advice that Fauci gave, I mean, after 50 years in government, that, that man, it turns out he was a total, complete waste. And literally, you could have had like a, a sixth grader, a random sixth grader making the decisions for the NIH and the decisions for how to deal with COVID. And you would have gotten equal results. And that's so sad because like his whole career supposedly was about getting prepared for that moment for a, for a pandemic. And he's an abysmal failure. But now he's admitting it all. So all the stuff that we said and then they told us that we were science deniers, they're admitting. And but of course, nobody's noticing. So Fauci admitted in Congress that 
Number one, the lab leak theory is a legitimate theory. And number, remember, it used to be a conspiracy theory. They made fun of people like us and like Trump and, and called us called the science denies. Number two, social distancing was made up six feet, the six foot rule of social distancing, which there are still some stores. Maybe you see them once in a while where there's like tape, right? Because they used to have like at the bank or whatever, you know, stop here, leave six feet with the person in line in front of you. It's They're still around. They're like, it, it's like the fallout shelters. Once in a while, you'll still see like a fallout shelter for, from like the Cuban missile crisis, literally. And it's like, well, what is that? What is that thing? Do you? That's the 1960s. You know, they're going to ask you, kids are going to say to you, hey, what's this line? What's this tape in Walmart that says, remember, remain six feet away from the next close person? It was made up from thin air. I, Dr. Fauci should be placed in jail. It's it's it, it, The fact that that man has no culpability, who knows how many lives he's responsible for. It was concocted from thin air, the social distancing thing. And remember when Fauci said, he said that he's the science, he said, I'm the science, I am the science. He said, an attack on me is an attack on science because I am science. Science and I are one and the same. Now, all right, we'll get to a little bit, we'll get to Fauci a little bit more coming up. Lloyd Austin, like I said, he's got to resign. Do you know with Lloyd Austin, uh, and, and again, it's very simple, okay? He broke the protocols, like he broke every protocol in the book. It's not like a protocol that like is like some radically innovative, it's like pretty basic, when you're the Secretary of Defense and you're incapacitated or you're going into a hospital, or you're having surgery or anything along those lines, if there are no wars going on and if there are no battles happening in the Middle East and you're not under attack, you still let the president know, or in this case, let somebody in the White House who's running things know. But in a time of war and in a time where there's so much volatility, I mean, just there's so much, there's so much upheaval around the world. And literally you had... U.S. military troops who are under attack, rockets being shot at them the days while he was in the hospital. You know what bothers me is John Kirby, they're saying, well, at no point was our national security compromised in any way. You have no way of measuring. They don't know. There were troop attacks. There were attacks against the troops. There were actually missile strikes against uh, Iran proxies while he was incapacitated in the hospital and his deputy was off in Puerto Rico vacationing. And you had troops under attack. So how do we know what was missed? How do we know what orders were confused? There's no way there are a million and one things that could happen that we wouldn't even know, that John Kirby wouldn't even know. And John Kirby sitting there like, yeah, we were a little confused. We were a little caught off guard. Like he, he you know, he has egg on his face. They all do, whether they're responsible or not. It comes down to the president, like I said. And so like to say, well, our national security wasn't compromised. Don't worry. It turned out OK. It's, it's a ridiculous excuse. Anyway, who cares? <laughs> like you, you still blew it. You still messed up. But they don't even can't possibly know that. And Lloyd Austin. So and he compromised national security. So it's not about the fact that, you know, if it was the secretary of the Treasury, he should still resign. But certainly in this situation and a couple of points. Number one, John Kirby saying they're talking to him now about tracking, doing a better job of tracking cabinet members. Okay, how do you track them? And John Kirby's making fun. He's like, well, we're not going to put tracking devices. We're not going to inject tracking devices. We're not going to track their cell phone GPS. They're missing the point here, like I said last time. This is not about Lloyd Austin. This is about Biden. This is about the president, the White House. You need to be in touch with him once a day. He's the secretary of defense, okay? I'm not talking about that you need to speak to the commerce secretary once a day, although I think once a week every cabinet member. But somebody in the White House has to be in communication with these high-level cabinet people, the people who are running national security every day, nothing to do with making sure that they're not in the hospital. You just you need to get updates. You need, you need to make sure they're doing their job. They're accountable to the American people. So the fact that this can happen, th- th- this is a huge blemish on the Biden administration, the fact that they're not even in touch with Lloyd Austin for several days, and that doesn't concern them. And the other thing that bothers me, <clears throat> excuse me, the White House said, our number one concern is Lloyd Austin's health. Our Lloyd Austin's health, the, dec- the, the Secretary of Defense's health, that is our number one concern. They said it multiple times. 
That is not your number one concern. It should not be. That should not be Lloyd Austin's number one concern when he's the secretary of defense. Obviously, I, look, I, like I said, I feel for him anytime there's a health issue. You hope that he gets better. They're calling it elective surgery. But when you hear what the surgery was for, the, the prostate surgery, like it, 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 this is not typical elective surgery. It's not like he was having like cosmetic surgery to, you know, to, 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 to fix his nose. But um, th- that's not the point. The point is that. Lloyd Austin, his health is number two because the White House's number one concern should be national security, should be the safety of the American people. And that's not a knock on Lloyd Austin. My heart goes out to him. I hope he is healthy. I hope he's well. I hope he gets through this. I hope he doesn't have any sort of health issues at all. I certainly, certainly support him and wish him the best in every way. But when you're running a government, when you're running the White House, your number one concern is the safety of the American people, plain and simple. So to even say that is a complete dereliction of duty for them to say our number one concern is Lloyd Austin's health. No, 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 no. That, that's embarrassing. That's the number two concern. Um, all right. Uh, I, we need to talk about this. It's so tough to digress when we talk about hostages. And I know we don't talk about it enough. And there's a listener who emails me and he says every day you've got to scream every single show. The, the Red Cross, they're a disgrace, as we'll get to here in a moment. We've said that many times. And the world is not putting pressure on. You know, we, we don't know if there's a game plan. We obviously, Baruch Hashem, did have the, that ceasefire where a lot of hostages were released, but there's still so many, and they're suffering, and we don't know the fate of them, and we don't know, you know, what they're going through. Well, it's unimaginable what they're going through. And it's it, 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 theoretically, if, if we would dwell on this, if we would think about this as much as we probably should, and I know it's not emotionally healthy, and I'm not saying that we should sit there all day long because it won't be good for anybody. But if we would be, if this were on our mind, like we wouldn't be able to eat, we would skip dinner every night, right? We wouldn't be able to sleep, okay? And it's an impossible balance. I, you know, I have people saying to me, you got to talk about this more, you have to focus on this. And you're right. And, I, and, and in my personal life, I do try to, and there are things that I've done, you know, small things, little things, probably not enough. And, may, and it's never enough. But we all, you also, life goes on. It's impossible. I'm, I'm going to struggle. I'm not even going to try because it's impossible. But I, anyway, I need to tell this story. And yes, I should probably talk about it more often. It's a tragic, heartbreaking story involving one of the hostages. And it was told on CNN to Jake Tapper by Dor Steinbrecher. Okay, Dor, Dor Steinbrecher is the brother of a female hostage. She's 30 years old. I think she's a nurse. And what happened was his mother, okay, her, her daughter, his sister, her daughter, his mother's daughter is, is being held hostage by Hamas. By the way, they don't know that for sure, but she, you know, but she was definitely taken captive by Hamas. They, they have no signs um, that she, you know, in other words, they have no basis to believe that she's either alive or Rahman al-Assan not alive. They, they don't know. There is no, you know, there, in other words, there is no evidence to suggest that she's not alive, Rahman al-Islam, but they also don't have any evidence to suggest that she is, except for the fact that she was taken captive by Hamas, but they don't know what happened since that, that date, since Simchas Torah, since Shemina Tzeres. So they reached out to the Red Cross. She needs medication. She takes medication every single day, and she barely needs it. And her mother reached out to the Red Cross, and the Red Cross said, you should be more worried about the civilians in Gaza than about your own daughter. And it's just, it's simply heartbreaking. It is infuriating. There are no words. There are no words. A Red Cross worker dismissed the concern. The mother uh, finally got a few minutes with the Red Cross, and the Red Cross worker rebuked the family, said, be more concerned about, concerned about the Palestinian door, Stein, uh, Steinbrecher. He said that he described his sister's experience. I guess I'll just give it to you a little bit here. She was she called her mother crying. She knew she was under attack. She was lying under her bed in a safe room trying to barricade the door. But Rahman al-Islam, they got in. They got in and they captured her. Um but again, they have not, you know, they have not found her, so they, they're, they're pretty certain she was taken to Gaza. And Jake Tapper, he clarified, he said, what did the Red Cross, Cross say when you asked them to get her the medication? 
And Dor said that, quote, my mom had a few minutes with the Red Cross. She told them my sister needs to get her medicine. They told her we should care more about Arab people on the other side. And, like, Tapper got him to clarify. Like, he's like, like you know, he, he said that's really what they said. Like, he confirmed. Your sister takes medicine every day. She's taken hostage. She's, she's a civilian. And it's been three months. And your parents told, tell the Red Cross, get her medicine. And they said, be more concerned about the people in Gaza. And he said, yes. And, and, and Tapper was speechless. He said, it's shocking. And then he said, uh, he concluded the interview, he said to the, to this brother, I mean, your, the, the, your heart, it's just, it's, it's unspeakable. It is, I, I cannot bring myself to recount this, except that I think it's so, so important. I probably should have let off the show with it. He said, what do you tell people who tear down postages of hostages? Of hostages? So he said, quote, I want them to know not just about my sister, each one of the hostages in Gaza, they're citizens, they are just citizens. Most of them pulled out of their beds, taken to Gaza for no reason. I want them to try and imagine all of the hostages in Gaza, the babies, the women, the grandfathers. It is their family members, their family beloved ones who need their help. And then think about why they did that with the hostage posters. All right. So Dr. Fauci claimed digressing over here. And, uh, you know, like I said, we talked about the school in Flatbush. It's insane. Dr. Fauci claimed that the six feet apart, he was he testified in Congress. It was private testimony. But the select subcommittee of the coronavirus pandemic, they actually publicized his testimony and the, the the social distancing recommendation of six feet apart based on zero data. His quote was, quote, it just sort of appeared. It just sort of appeared. They had the whole country six feet apart, social distancing. It just sort of appeared. It was made up. It was concocted. And, and I, I mean, now that he's retired, uh, you know, he's the, the truth comes out. Um, and he acknowledged that the lab leak hypothesis is not a conspiracy theory that comes after nearly four years uh, of prompting, he prompted the publication of something called Proximal Origin, a paper that attempted to vilify and disprove the lab leak theory and and, and debunk it as a conspiracy theory. We know it's, we know it leaked out of a lab. I think there's so much evidence. I don't even want to get into it right now. It's so, it's so infuriating. But here's what's so sickening is years later, they finally admit it. When Trump says it, when all of us say it, we're science deniers, and they literally act like we're crazy. They acted like we're all a bunch of lunatics. So now they admit it behind closed doors. There's no apology, okay? It's years later, and they do this all the time, and they accuse us of being conspiracy theorists. They mock us. They ridicule us. They totally dismiss us, make us out look like fools, and then later they end up admitting, oh, yeah, that's actually the truth, but there's no retraction or apology, and it doesn't get publicized because it's like after the and, and And by the way, they do it on both sides of the aisle, and— it's so incredibly outrageous. The Hunter Biden laptop, right? 51 Intel officials came out and called the Russian disinformation. Oh, yeah, by the way, uh, Hunter Biden confirmed multiple times that it was his laptop. Complications with the vaccine, right? All these dangers that come, the risks that come from the, va- from the COVID vaccine. Oh, there are no risks. We, we, we tested it out. We, it's, it's been clinically proven. Those, those people are making it up. No, nope, actually, there are major risks involved with the COVID vaccine. In fact, in, in the U.K., it's not even it's banned. It's banned for people under, I believe, age 50 who don't have um, pre-existing conditions. Right. Masks. We now know that masks don't work. Rand Paul was was banned and censored for saying that cloth masks don't work. Climate change. I mean, election fraud, you name it. Censorship of conservatives. They, we were deniers and conspiracy theorists and were proven right in a secret hearing. It's just gaslighting. It's literally gaslighting. And they do it again. Again, Russia collusion. By the way, I'll add to that UFOs, UFOs. A lot of people. And you, it doesn't mean they're aliens, but the military has now confirmed UFOs for, for, for decades. People who believed in UFOs and had evidence of UFOs and sightings, 
Oh, those are crazy people. They're, they're just a bunch of lunatics. Well, now the military confirmed it. But what happened to these poor people who spent years being gaslighted? The JFK assassination, which I grew up and it was it was a lone gunman. It was Lee Harvey Oswald. Now it turns out like th- th- there's literally a congressional oversight committee in the 1970s that argued with the Warren Commission and that said that they believe JFK, the assassination was a conspiracy. And now there's all sorts of evidence that came out. There's no way Lee Harvey Oswald acted alone. I'm just giving you like tons of examples here. Um, but Fauci is a fraud. Nothing was based on data. Nothing was based on science. They literally made it up as they went along. And is he ever going to have any consequences? No. And is he is he worth millions and millions of dollars? And, and we don't even know how he made his money. We know he made tons of money working for the government, which is itself a disgrace. He should have to give it all back because he was a fraud. And, um, and 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 then he made tons more money with, you know, all these licensing agreements and everything with with the pharmaceutical companies, all, all these royalties. And they don't have to disclose that. It's it's just, and it's, he's making the decision. So this huge conflict of interest, deciding which drugs should be used and which not, and then he gets these royalties from the pharmacy. I mean, it's such a scam. It's 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 just a mafia. It's just despicable. All right, the Trump town hall. He's as sharp as ever. He's as energetic energetic as ever. The caliber of his answers, like I said, it's not even close. And so they asked him about chaos. They and now now a caller has left me a voicemail said that he's upset. They asked Trump about. Retribution is his is his administration. If he if he's reelected, is there going to be a lot of retribution to all the people who are indicting him and doing all sorts of horrible things to him and his family? And he said, basically, he kind of sidestepped the question. He said, oh, well, there's not going to be time for retribution. He said, we're going to be so busy with successful things. We're going to be so, so busy fixing the economy and, and having all these victories, these wins um, that we're not going to have time for retribution. So a caller called me up and he's like basically really nervous, like all, all, all anxious and like, oh boy, you know, all distraught. Like, oh, are you kidding me? No retribution. We need retribution. I mean, this is like lock her up all over again and it never happened. If there's no retribution, then what's stopping these Democrats from weaponizing the DOJ again? Everything that's been going on, how could you not do retribution? Not because of personal revenge. That's the point. The point is because it's so crucial for the sake of the country that these people be stopped, the, the, the weaponization of the DOJ, the fact that they're using the government to punish their political opponents, it's like it's, it's Soviet Russia. It's KGB tactics. So you need – it's not retribution. It's let them suffer the consequences as a preventive to make sure – first, they deserve to suffer the consequences, but to make sure this never happens again and, and, and people are allowed to actually fight for freedom and fight for good things and – and be conservative and not and, and, and not be afraid of getting prosecuted and, and, and having millions of dollars in legal fees and being getting thrown in jail because of their pol- political beliefs. So that's a little disappointing, I guess. I, look, we'll have to wait and see. I, I, I understand why Trump maybe doesn't want to um, threaten retribution, but still may actually carry it out once he's elected. I don't see how he cannot. Uh, but all right. But anyway, they asked him about chaos and he's like chaos. They said, you know, people say that Trump chaos follows Trump. Nikki Haley said that she said anywhere Trump goes, there's chaos. And Trump's like, I'm not the one who creates chaos. The Democrats create chaos. And he's 100 percent right. OK, and he's like, he's like, look at the Biden administration. It's it's rife with chaos. It's filled with chaos. He's 100 percent right. Russia collusion. You, you want to tell me, all right, Trump, his, his nasty tweets. You want to tell me, you know, January 6th and the Capitol, uh, which who can blame him with the way they rigged the election. And all he wanted to do was just have justice be served and carried out. But like, what exactly is the chaos with Trump? The fact that you know he's a, he's a little tough on his people, that people get annoyed at him. John Bolton goes and uh, basically turns on him and stabs him in the back, and a lot of his other, uh, you know, a bunch of these other uh, advisors, like they left the White House and then suddenly they turn on Trump because they don't like him because he's difficult to deal with. That's a good thing. The the, the fact that the Democrats are so threatened by Trump and punish him, 
That's a good thing because it shows you that he actually, he's not one of these swampy people like Nikki Haley. They're never going to turn on Nikki Haley because she's not going to do anything drastic. She's not going to, she's going to go, you know, follow along, follow the script. She's not going to build a wall, not going to, you know, close up the border and all that stuff. So Trump, he was such a danger to these Democrats' agenda and to the whole establishment, the Republicans too. So, but, but, but where's the chaos? The mean tweets? I, I just, you know, the chaos came from the fact that the Democrats, they've, they perceived him as a massive threat and, 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 and they literally ripped him apart and impeached him twice. And the Russia collusion hoax, he's going through things that none of us, it's unbearable to imagine what he's going through. So, yeah, and yeah, he's going to respond. And yes, he's tough. I understand that Trump, I understand that he's very tough. And I understand that he does things that are unconventional that can, that can be chaotic. But he's 100% right. He's like the Biden administration is full of chaos. And I'm going to give you some examples over here. Hunter Biden defied a congressional subpoena. He literally went to Congress yesterday. Trump went to the Senate. He went into the House. They were having a hearing on holding him in contempt. And he sat there staring. He came unannounced, stared them down, stared down the Republicans, gawking at them, trying to intimidate them. This is some kind of like strategy that his lawyer put together, that he's going to he's going and confronting the Republicans as a way of, um, you know, to create a media frenzy. Now, that's chaos. Lloyd Austin, this whole fiasco, that's major chaos. Classified documents in the garage, classified documents in every office that Biden has ever been to. Biden goes out to eat at a restaurant and leaves classified documents there. Okay, Biden can't figure out how to get off a stage. He forgot the name of the Pentagon. Hundreds of millions of dollars in weapons that were handed over to the Taliban. The the Afghanistan pullout where literally military personnel were, were, were killed by terrorist attacks. That's chaos. Okay, air, remember air traffic? Remember the, remember the baby formula? Baby formula shortage? Air traffic control software got hacked. Thousands of airplanes were were uh, were grounded. Uh, the supply chain issues, the war in Ukraine, China's invading Taiwan. Millions of illegals are crossing the border. They get a court date uh, uh, in 2031. Between 7 a.m. and 9 a.m., show up January 20th, uh, January 23rd, 2031, between 7 a.m. and 9 a.m. Can't make it up. So that's chaos. The Biden administration is pure chaos. And, on, and in Trump, the main chaos, the main chaos came from Rosenstein and James Comey and the Russia hoax. And, uh, you know, and, and the Ukrainian phone call and, and all of that nonsense, the impeachments and everything else. Uh, so, so, you know, Iran shooting tankers at the Red Sea right now. That is chaos. So where's the, where, you know, Trump, because he fired Rex Tillerson via tweet, uh, you know, and he tried to ensure a fair election. That's the chaos. You know, it, it's just unbelievable. All right. And uh, what else is going on over here? By the way, I, I just want to add that, you know, Republicans. Wow. This is just we, we just. These shows just go long. But, you know, I, I think they're pretty interesting, <laughs> I hope. But, uh, you know, they just, wow, there's just so much to get to here. So, uh, you know, I just want to point out the Republicans, they don't really want to, they don't really want to solve the problem they claim they want to solve. And this is a real big part of Trump's frustration is that they actually rather have a crisis. You know, they, they did not build the wall. They did not give Trump the money to build the wall. He had to find it using, you know, he had to basically uh, funnel uh, military emergency funding. He did it on his own. I never thought he could do it. Okay, uh, what did you, think about what Trump did? He built a wall. Built didn't build the entire wall, but he built a, a big chunk of wall on his own. He shut down the government in, in order to build the wall. Remember that? He uh, overturned Roe versus Wade. Trump did that single handedly. He moved the embassy. He moved the, uh, the, the 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 embassy in Israel. He pulled out of the Iranian nuclear deal. Okay, Trump. Everything Trump did good, he did on his own. What about the Republicans? What about Congress? They did not fund his border wall. They did not want to turn overturn Roe v. Wade. Nobody for 50 years, nobody overturned Roe v. Wade until Trump came along. Uh, they didn't solve the border mess. They they did not overturn, uh, repeal o Obamacare. Remember, that was the big promise. We're going to repeal Obamacare. Then they finally were in power. They did not repeal Obamacare. 
So what, what's going on here? So you'll say, well, they couldn't get the vote. They couldn't get it together. 16 filibuster. It, it, you know, it's very interesting how everything good that needed to be done, Trump figured out a way to do on his own. And the things that needed Congress not, did not get done. That's because they don't really want it. The Republicans, they don't want a wall. They don't want to cut spending. They don't want to repeal Obamacare. They want these talking points. They want a border crisis. They love the crisis. They don't want it. Now they're losing because of abortion, because of Roe v. Wade. Think about that. They knew that would happen. Trump actually cares about doing what's right. The Republicans do not. By the way, Trump has gotten endorsements from the five top Republicans in the House. This is unheard of at this stage. And look, we're going to have the Iowa caucuses. Um, Trump's going to crush Haley and DeSantis. I have no question about that. DeSantis likely is going to drop out after Iowa because it's just going to be too embarrassing. Ramaswamy as well. That's going to leave Nikki Haley. They're going to try to consolidate Nikki Haley. I think after New Hampshire, Nikki Haley's out. I think you have Iowa, New Hampshire, Trump wins them both, but maybe not. But if Trump wins South Carolina, that's you know very humiliating because that's Nikki Haley's home state. And that's going to be that. But Trump has uh, Tom Emmer, uh, Scalise, Steve Scalise, Mike Johnson, Elise Stefanik. Those are four of the top five Republicans in the House unheard of. Uh, Elon Musk is lamenting the fact that you that you do not need a, an ID to vote. You don't need to show ID to vote. And, and you can just mail it in. He says he, he's like, I need to show ID if I want to go and buy a beer, but I don't need to show ID if I want to vote. And, he, you know, he's a, he's like an election denier, basically. Um, by the way, Congress, they're not going to shut down the government. Mike Johnson has a deal with the Democrats. You know, we're going to have to. This is a shame. I know I still paint Bob Menendez. I keep promising, keep teasing how Bob Menendez and I'm not teasing it intentionally. Why, why the Democrats do Bob Menendez under the bus. Um, and uh, like I said, the, uh, you know, we got to get to the debate a little bit. But Elon Musk essentially, and by the way, Liz Cheney slammed Elise Stefanik. Elise Stefanik said that the January 6th um, prisoners who are in jail because of January 6th, they're hostages. She, she called them hostages. And Liz Cheney got all angry and said, how dare you call them hostages? She said, that's a disgraceful thing to say. Well, they're hostages. They literally are. I mean, they, they, you know, now that we have the, 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 the video that was suppressed, you know, they, they were literally they were peaceful. They were they were peaceful protesters, unlike the BLM rioters. They were peaceful protesters. But getting back to Elon Musk, he tweeted, oh, and I got to get to shutting down the government. Oh, boy, we're all over the place here, as, as usual. So Elon Musk, he said, how insane is this? He tweeted about the fact that you can literally mail in your ballot and you do not need to show any ID. So now he's an election denier. And literally, it's like being in Russia or North Korea, the way they're running elections. And it's 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 insanity. And like we go and we scream about it. But it's like so obvious. Then Elon Musk, who's really a leftist at heart, he's a leftist. But he looks at this and it's like, hello, this is so obvious. They should have someone like Elon Musk running the election or, you know, somebody uh, like, you know, like a Warren Buffett. Uh, They should, you know, or even Jeff Bezos, who's who's a radical leftist, obviously. But putting that aside. Have a business entrepreneur. You'll have a much more fair election. But here's what he said. He said, quote, conversation. This is in a tweet. Elon Musk, conversation. I know it's an X. I know it's an X. Conversation. In the USA, you do not need government-issued ID to vote, and you can mail in your ballot. This is insane. (laughs) This is a quote. He says, conversation, but then he says, this is insane. So there's your conversation. So so then somebody asks him on Twitter, is there anything we can do to fix this? On Twitter, a.k.a. X. And And by the way, in all the newspapers, they'll say, like, X, formerly known as Twitter. So, like, what's the point? Like, X, formerly known as Twitter. I guess eventually you're going to find out. I, I still call it the Tappan Zee Bridge, by the way, not the not the not the Governor Cuomo Bridge, not the Mario Cuomo Bridge. I still call it the Triborough Bridge, not the RFK Bridge. For those of you who are, who are familiar with New York City, I still call it the the the. Uh, well, I don't call it the what was it called? <laughs> the Jackie Robinson Parkway. It used to be called the Interborough Parkway. I actually did finally get used to the Jackie Robinson Parkway. I'm not a racist. I like you know I. Uh, I have no problem with Jackie Robinson. I just, you know, I get used to names, but I'm dating myself here. But anyway, 
somebody says, is there anything we can do to fix this? So Musk says we should require government ID and in-person voting, unless you have like a really medical excuse or whatever to not vote you know, for absentee ballot, like other countries do, or like if you want to buy beer. You can't make this stuff up. Um, all right, and finally, and I guess we're going to have to call it a show here. Finally, uh, the, the government shutdown. So Mike Johnson, he has a deal with the Democrats, and they're not cutting spending. This is not going to be a major win for conservatives. And in fact, the conservatives, it seems that there, there are conservatives like Chip Roy who are threatening to vacate Johnson. Again, we still have the one, you just need one motion to vacate from one congressman. So theoretically, it could be mayhem. Matt Gates says... He's not happy with, Matt, with with Mike Johnson's deal to avert a shutdown, the budget deal that he agreed to with the Democrats, he says, but he's not going to do the motion to vacate. Now, Mike Johnson is doing pretty much the same thing that Kevin McCarthy did. So why did Gates vacate McCarthy, but not Mike Johnson? I'll let you go and sort of uh, dwell on that and analyze that one, figure that one out. But it's a head scratcher. Some people feel Matt Gates, his issue with McCarthy was not political, but it was personal. This certainly would um, lend a lot of credence to that. I don't know. But either way, Mike Johnson uh, has cut a deal with the Democrats, and it sounds like they're going to keep spending at extremely high levels. They're raising the debt ceiling, all, all sorts of things that conservatives are furious about. I'm upset about this, okay? I, I, and I'm going to bash this. We're going to get into this at a different time because this deal is still another few days in the works. This is going to go on. But there's not going to be a government shutdown. It's all but settled, okay? And I would have predicted this, except I didn't know Mike Johnson, if maybe he'd be like a holdout. Maybe he'd be like one of these conservatives, but he's not. And what's happening is he's cutting a deal with the Democrats. The conservatives are saying, we're not going to vote for this, but they don't need to because the Democrats are going to vote in favor of this, which is exactly what McCarthy did. I'm never happy about this. Can we agree on one thing? Can we agree that... And the conservatives, they want to fix the border, and they're basically telling Mike Johnson that if you don't, if your deal doesn't include a major, major overhaul to fix the border crisis, it doesn't just mean money, because you just money, you're just going to hire more border patrol agents. They're going to process these illegals faster, the asylum seekers. So that's not going to money's not going to do anything. But uh, anyway, with the conservatives, uh, can I just say this? If there are more Democrats who vote for this than Republicans, like last time, then can we agree that Mike Johnson is a letdown, that he's a big disappointment? So, you know, I, I, I just don't know. I mean, uh, it, it's just it, it's just incredible. Like, you know, they're not even discussing the border. And like, if you don't want to fix the border. So uh, to me, Mike Johnson, I'm, I'm not ready to call him, you know, as they say, a rhino or Republican in name only. But it is very, very disgraceful. To, I, I'm sorry. I, you know, Mike Johnson, he seems like he's going to do a good thing. Maybe maybe he just wants to kind of build up support and then he's going to eventually. I don't think Mike Johnson's ever going to shut down the government. If you do not, sh- oh, how can we shut down the government? What are the national parks? If you do not shut down the government, you're not going to cut spending at the levels that need to be cut. It is out of control. The budget situation, the national debt, it is completely, completely out of control. But that's a story for a different day. Uh, oh, the debate. All right. Look, the, the point is that the, here, here's the bottom line with the debate. This CNN analyst, he's like saying that, you know, Nikki Haley's too negative and Nikki Haley, she shouldn't engage in name calling to DeSantis. And he's talking about how DeSantis is too clinical. It's true. DeSantis, he just he needs a much better communications person. And by the way, uh, Nikki Haley, her communications are much better. You know, her messaging is much better than DeSantis. She's she's more clear. She you know, she's she's very good at uh, attacking DeSantis, whether you like that approach or not. But she's good at it. It's strong. Okay, And, you know, her messaging is positive. Yet she still criticizes DeSantis. She's strong, okay? Nikki Haley, she's a much better candidate than DeSantis, in my opinion, much better debater. I think everybody agreed to that. But DeSantis, he's like, he's way, way too technical in the weeds. It's just how he thinks. He'll fix it for, for next time, for 2020. He will, he'll, he'll learn how to do this right, I believe. But right now, you know, but, but what I don't like is, 
that the, the CNN analyst, he's like a debate expert, right? He like teaches college students how to debate or whatever. And he's like, oh, Nikki Haley, she's so negative. She reverts to name calling, calling DeSantis a liar and, you know, all this bashing of, of, of DeSantis. That's it, it, it's not appealing. She, he doesn't like the imagery of it. He doesn't like the optics. What, the, here's the problem. There are two aspects to debating. This is the bottom line. There's winning people over. There's actually being a successful debater who gets people to vote for you. And then there's whether whether you feel that it's it's a, it's a nice approach, whether you think that like this is appropriate. OK, etiquette, there's there's debate etiquette where, you know, well, well, this is not my taste. I, I don't find it. I find it distasteful. OK, and then there's well, does it win? Does it work? Is it effective? Does it get people to vote for you? And the two things are not. They're not the same thing, and there's not much of an overlap. They could be totally, totally separate. One does not at all um, affect the other. And what I'm trying to say is, I think, I think you know, I'm being pretty clear, but what I'm trying to say is this, right? When you say, oh, look at Nikki Haley. She's being so negative. She's name-calling, and, you know, she's saying all these things. What's your problem with that? Your problem is because you think that that's not going to win supporters over, that's not going to get votes? Or you think it's distasteful. You personally don't like it. You find it to be unappealing. You know, you find it to be uh, inappropriate and, 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 and bad conduct and, and, and bad etiquette and bad manners, right? So one thing has nothing to do with the other. It could be terrible manners. It could be terribly distasteful. It could be like, you know, even uh, degenerate. But it might still get votes, right? And you know who I'm thinking of here. I'm thinking of Trump because I, that's what I'm curious. You know, oh, Nikki Haley, look at these names she's calling DeSantis. So unappealing. Well, does it work? I Now, I don't know. I don't know what works and what doesn't work. But if you show this debate expert, right, the CNN expert, if you show him Trump in 2016, right, making fun of Jeb Bush, right, low energy Jeb, whatever he called him, and, and Lion Ted and Crooked Hillary and all that stuff, right, Sleepy Joe. What, what would this guy have said? He would have said, oh, look at look at Trump. This is so dis- distasteful. He, he's so out of line. Yeah, look, look at these. He's a terrible debater. Well, it worked, right? He won- Not only did he win, I mean, he just crushed everybody else, including these legendary political dynasties. And Trump won over these millions and millions, tens of millions of people. His, you know, his, 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 his rallies had t- tens of thousands of people. He was a rock star. But what do you mean? He was so distasteful. His his debate style, it is so, you know, uh, it, it, you know it, 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 it's, it's so inappropriate it's 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 so distasteful it, it, his etiquette is well but does it work it does it not work now we can have a separate now so right so the, the, this i'm so unimpressed this guy's oh nikki haley look look at her look at the things she's doing it, she, it's so out of line well but that's not the question they're two separate questions does it work is it something that you feel is tasteful and appropriate one thing really has nothing to do with the other. Now you can ask me a different question. What if it came down to the only way to win is to do something very distasteful? What if it was like, well, you know, yeah, I could be like Trump and I could make up all these nicknames and I could say all these negative things and, and say that Hillary's a nasty woman. But like, that's not my personality. I, I, I can't bring myself. I, well, then you'd rather not win. 